Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hi, this is Dan Dickerson, and you're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. With our good friend Dan Hastie. Take it away, Dan. We must pay attention. Something has happened with Detroit sports teams over the course of the last couple of months that set the blueprint for excitement, engagement. And it's different than it was maybe, say, 10, 20, 30 years ago. But we're starting to see a fundamental shift Over the last two months, we've had two different professional sports teams in the city of Detroit get rave reviews over their respective drafts. The Detroit Lions, Aiden Hutchinson, Jamison Williams. Then the Detroit Pistons, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran. And what happened in both of those scenarios? It ignited excitement among those respective fan bases. There are so many long-standing benefits from crushing your draft. And I know you might say, well, baseball players, aren't they farther away from the major leagues? Yeah, same goes for hockey. But even in hockey, the returns don't take that long. And in baseball, it's kind of the same way when you really think about it. Moritz Sider was drafted by the Red Wings. Two years later, he wins the Calder for the best rookie in the NHL. Spencer Torkelson's in the big leagues. He spent just one year in the minors. I think it's safe to say that enthusiasm has been at its highest for this baseball team when they've had those two pillars of Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson in their minor league system leading the way. But crushing your draft, that's what gives people hope. Crushing your draft, having outstanding prospects coming up the pipeline. That's where hope lies. Being able to attach names and faces to what could be the resurgence of one of your favorite teams means everything. Another common thread is that both of those other teams, the Lions, the Pistons, they got creative. They had their pick at the top of the draft. They took a good player, but they backed it up by getting creative. They traded up, and they drafted another top talent. It's not just that first pick, because everybody gets a first pick. It's feeling like you shot a bullseye on another pick. That is much more than most a way to entice and excite your fan base. We're coming up on the Major League Baseball draft. The Tigers pick number 12 overall, and you might be asking, you can't trade 99% of draft picks. How do you get creative in a situation like that? There are ways, and we're going to find out on this episode of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Welcome in. It's season three, episode three. I'm Dan Hasty. Our producer is Nate Wangler. Coming up on today's show, we're going to hear from a couple of different figures throughout the Tigers minor league system, and we're going to talk to somebody on the outside of the organization 
from Perfect Game, Brian Sikowski. He's the national cross-checker. He has been watching high school and college players for years, and nobody has a better handle on all of these players, and especially how they could coexist within the Tigers system. Maybe some options at pick number 12, and how maybe the Tigers could get creative in this year's draft. We'll talk to Brian Sikowski coming up a little bit later in the show. Also, coming up a little bit later, guess who had a phenomenal month of June? Boom! Boom! That's right. Tough acting time ad, and he was acting tough in the month of June. How about an ERA for the month of 0.72? We're talking about maybe the Tigers minor league pitcher of the month. And the biggest thing that really impressed me about watching time ad over the course of June was, number one, that he struggled in May. He had an ERA near seven. So he's starting to figure things out. Here's what's going to happen. At the high A level, hitters are going to start adjusting to him again. Clearly what happened is he made an adjustment in the month of June, and now things will shift. Now he's a different pitcher. Now hitters will start to adjust to him again. But here's the biggest statistic I loved from time added in June. 25 innings on the mound. He gave up a total of 12 base hits. 12 base hits, including just one in his five-inning appearance at Cedar Rapids on Sunday. He faced just one batter over the minimum. Ty has been electric. And we'll actually talk to Brian Sikowski about Ty Madden and some changes that he's seen him make since being drafted. You remember, he was a top-10 draft prospect. And, you know, if you, the Tigers hypothetically would have taken him at the number three overall pick. The numbers that he put together this month are justified no matter what the draft slot would be. So getting that kind of production and results from time add-in is pretty exciting. How has he done it? We'll see what Brian Sikowski has seen. We'll also go right to the source. Time add-in will join us coming up a little bit later on here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Also coming up in just a few moments, former big leaguer Ryan Garko, who's the Detroit Tigers vice president of player development. He'll join us had an opportunity to kind of talk big picture with Ryan Garko, and he said a couple of things that we'd like to share with you. But for now, let's go to the news, and it starts with Riley Green. The 2-2 is swinging a fly ball to center. That's deep. Going back is Green. Tracking it. He's going to jump up. Make the catch by the 420 marker in deepest center field. What a fine, fine play by Riley Green on a ball that was absolutely smooth. Slicing drive deep to right center. Riley Green lays out. Wow. A blast up the gap of the bat of Kennedy. Riley Green flies through the air with a backhand grab and takes extra bases away. 1-0 fly ball left center field. That's deep on the run. Riley Green He's going to dive and make another great catch. Riley Green does it again. You know, they actually said Riley Green couldn't play center field. That was a thing that happened. If I may take a quick detour, we will omit the names to protect the innocent. But these were things that were actually said about Riley Green as he was being drafted. Quote, he is a below average runner and will quickly move to a corner outfield position at the next level. Green gets solid jumps on fly balls, but lacks the closing speed necessary to make the in-between plays that most major league center fielders are expected to handle. That was a thing that was written. Here's another one. One of the best pure high school hitters in the class with some power to go with it, but below average tools everywhere else probably limits him to left field. And then my personal favorite, This one just listed bullet points giving the Riley Green weaknesses, and it said at the end, one, doesn't have range to play center field. Number two, may end up moving to first base. (laughs) Ah, First base. Wow. Boy, Spencer Torkelson's not going to be happy that Riley Green's got to play first base. A wise man once said, they're going to learn today. Riley Green, a phenomenal showing over the weekend against the Arizona Diamondbacks defensively, confirming what we have seen in the minor league system for years. We're still waiting on Riley Green's first major league home run, but we're no longer waiting on this young man's. The 1-2 is swinging a fly ball right field. This one's deep. 
Going back, Varsho at the fence, and it's gone! Cody Clemens' first career home run is a three-run shot. How about your first big league home run being a game changer? Cody Clemens breaking a 3-3 tie with that three-run shot, helping the Tigers pick up a 6-3 win over the Diamondbacks on Saturday. Now we shift from the major leagues to the minor leagues. Just last week on this very show, we got to know Kerry Carpenter, and apparently he's getting to know Toledo. His old one, and Carpenter will take a swing. There it goes, deep right center. Let's see. He just got here, and it's gone. Holy Toledo, Matt. A double and a home run. That's right. He was in double-A Erie with the Seawolves when we talked to him last week. He was given the promotion. He's now in Toledo, and he is not missing a beat. Had a double and a two-run home run, part of a three-RBI debut, helping Toledo pick up a win over scranton Wilkesbury. Congratulations, Gary Carpenter. You can't ask for a much better start to your AAA career. That's a look at the news and notes around the Tigers system. Now we get thoughts from Detroit Tigers Vice President of Player Development, Ryan Garko who spent some time with the Road to Detroit podcast during his visit to West Michigan. And he joins the Tigers at a time where free agency has been an option for Detroit. It hadn't for a long time, at least not at the level we saw during the previous offseason. But despite free agency, Ryan Garko talks about the need to build from within and the homegrown talent that far exceeds what free agency can deliver. Every good team is built off some type of core of, of homegrown talent. And, um, you know, very few teams have the resources to go out and just continue to shop. And it's, it's very expensive, you know, to, to go out and shop in, in those waters um, year over year over year. And um, so, but yeah, I mean, you're right. I was I was here and it was never fun to go to Comerica Park and, and see. Well, you're a hitter. So. And, see, and see those guys. And I mean, you know, but yes, it's it's a mix, right? Of it's it, like anything in life, like having a balanced approach of being to develop your own players and then strike the free agent market when the, when you feel it's the right player. There is a blueprint for success, at least in the way the modern game is formatted, and we have seen the Tigers make an attempt to copy some parts of different teams' blueprints. We've seen teams have success, whether it be teams like the Dodgers or the Cubs or the Royals. They've followed some similar paths to have success. We asked Ryan Garko, in his opinion, what teams got it right. When you can get on the same page from ownership down to scouting, like, well, you know, ownership, the GM, the manager, player development, scouting, international scouting, when you can just make sure that everyone's vision is aligned, it's the teams that do that well. They understand who they are, they understand how they want to do things, and then at any level you go to the organization, the department heads and the people that work for the department heads understand you know, who, what our identity is and, and who we are and how we're trying to do things. Like Those are the teams that have success. I mean, whether it's uh, you know, Tampa, obviously people know how Tampa builds a team a certain way. Um, you know, even the team we play for, the Indians, they, they've had a lot of continuity from you know, Mark Shapiro to Chris Antonetti. They do things a certain way. You know, they, they kind of know who they are. And for better or for worse, I mean, but um, I think it's when you can get aligned from top to bottom, which is I do feel like what we're, we're, we're where we are right now. I mean, certainly Al, AJ, myself, Scott Pleiser, scouting director, like we're all pulling in the same direction. I feel like dude, Al's got a great vision for where we're going. Very important to follow successful blueprints. Meanwhile, we've talked about this a lot on this show over the last couple of years and the progression in pitching that's been developed in the Tigers minor league system. You know, you look up this year, there are about four or five pitchers who have seemingly come out of nowhere to become legitimate major league prospects. And as Ryan Garko tells us, it's not just something he's excited about. It's something that every organization needs. You know, we hired Gabe Rebus, came over, and he's, he's built out a staff. It's what I spend probably 90% of my bandwidth on is the pitching just because it's so important. But I also think we've, we really have reached a point in the game of baseball where, you know, pitching, pitching's come along a lot farther than the hitting in terms of, you know, you look at how we use analytics, how we use technology, places like, you know, driveline and different places. I mean, it's not a secret anymore. Like, like you get talent in the pipeline, like 
our, our goal is like we should have an endless supply of at least replacement level arms for Al to continue to supplement the Major League roster yep. with. Our thanks to Ryan Garko for joining us back during his visit in West Michigan. Let's go to the on-ramp. The Complex League Tigers off to a slow start. They're 3-12, and but they were 2-2 two and two last week, so they're playing a little bit better. Wins over the FCL Phillies and Blue Jays. They lost two to the Yankees. Why does it feel like they play the Yankees like every game this season? Adinso Reyes, who was acquired as an international free agent back in 2018, 6 for 15, a double and an RBI last week. He's hit 350, an on-base percentage of almost 440, already 11 RBIs in 40 at bats. J.D. McLaughlin, he was a 20th round pick. You know, last year the MLB draft was only 20 rounds. It's going to be that way going forward. So the Tigers used a draft pick on him. It was their last one out of Central Arizona Junior College. He went two for eight with an RBI last week. He's hitting 333 with a home run and eight runs batted in in 30 at bats. Let's zip over across the street to Low A Lakeland. Lakeland, they won two out of six against Fort Myers last week. That's the Twins Low A affiliate. Jackson Job made a very short appearance on June 26th. He allowed a run through two innings. He struck out two. Numbers, he's one and two this season, a 4.60 ERA. 36 strikeouts in 31 innings. Garrett Burhen's done a great job for Lakeland this year. Ninth round pick, last year's draft out of, Nate? The Ohio State University. I just wanted to make him say it. <laughs> Dominated in his start last Wednesday, allowing just one run through six innings, racked up seven strikeouts in his fourth win of the season. So far this year, he's 4-1, a 2.80 ERA, 71 strikeouts through 54 innings. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Brant Herter, the lefty out of Georgia Tech, in the same way for Lakeland. Now he's received his promotion to West Michigan. Who knows? There's a chance that Garrett Burhan not that far behind. Isaac Pacheco, you know, he has been rock solid. 19 years old, hitting almost 270. You can't ask for much more success right out of the gate for somebody still learning professional baseball. I think the Tigers got to be really happy with what Isaac Pacheco's done for them. The Tigers' number 11 prospect hit safely in three out of five games so far this year, average sitting over 260, and that was the big question because could he hit for average was the one thing that everybody wondered about. And he has seven homers, 30 runs batted in. He's clearly a better hitter than people gave him credit for. Meanwhile, Roberto Campos still waiting for that power to come into its own. But he was three for nine with a triple and an RBI last week. His batting average is starting to come up a little bit. So these are important developments between a guy like Pacheco and Campos. Let's go to West Michigan. The Whitecaps are playing some of their best baseball of the season. They just had a 12-game road trip. Those are supposed to be... Very difficult. And the Whitecaps took four out of six against Peoria last week. We told you about that. This week, they had an even tougher assignment. The top team in the Midwest League, Cedar Rapids, who came into the series 20 games over 500, and the Whitecaps played some of their best baseball this week. They got a split of their series. Every one of those wins, a one-run victory. Some of the reasons for that. We just mentioned him. Ty Madden was outstanding this week. His second one-hit performance this month came in the series finale on Sunday. Five shutout innings, four strikeouts, didn't walk anybody, and a 4-3 Whitecaps victory. Get a load of these numbers for the month of June. 25 innings, just 12 hits. Opponents hit 138 against him. Only walked four batters and an ERA of 0.72. And on top of all of it, Ty Madden has been named the High A Midwest League Pitcher of the Week. Congratulations to Time Madden. He's bringing home an award. Last week, we saw Jake Holton win the Player of the Week. This week, Time Madden gets the Pitcher of the Week. How appropriate, too. We just finished the College World Series. Congratulations to Ole Miss, by the way, who ended up winning it. Last year was Mississippi State. This year, it's Ole Miss. Meanwhile, another big-time college pitcher during his days at Alabama, Dylan Smith, the third-rounder last year, gave up a pair of runs through five innings, struck out five in his last start. He's 6-4 and four this year. His ERA is at 4.19. He does have about a strikeout per inning. You know, we talked about the tough month of May for Ty Madden. Dylan Smith is kind of going through those growing pains right now.
Excited to see how he continues to adjust the rest of the season. Meanwhile, in the bullpen, speaking of former Ohio State Buckeyes. Liquid hot magma. Oh, thank you, Dr. Evil. Now, I think he actually meant to say liquid hot magno. He's been really good this year. 1-0 with a 1.80 ERA. Had two shutout innings out of the bullpen. Struck out four. And Daniel Cabrera is hitting 333 through just 21 games. That little high A West Michigan reset has done him a world of good. Let's go to Erie. The Seawolves took four out of six at home against the Bowie Bay Sox. That's the double-A affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. Wenzel Perez has done a nice job at the plate since going up to double-A. He's hit over 315 with double-A Erie. Just 10 games, he got his first home run, a double, two triples, and eight runs batted in. Those numbers can hang with just about anybody in the system. Meanwhile, on the mound, Austin Bergner, the ninth rounder out of North Carolina in 2019, had his three-game winning streak cut short, although he gave up just one earned run through six innings, struck out six on Wednesday. If anyone's going to challenge Ty Madden for the Tigers' minor league pitcher of the month, it very well could be Austin Bergner. 3-0, an ERA of 1.57, 23 innings, just five walks, 26 strikeouts. Another pitcher, Wilmer Flores. I like that draw, by the way. Five innings, gave up just one run, struck out seven in his second win of the month so far this year. Four and one, his ERA, and now at 2.70, a ton of strikeouts. 75 punch outs in 50 innings. To Toledo, the Mudhens split a six-game series with Scranton Wilkes-Barre. Gary Carpenter, we already told you about his outstanding start. Meanwhile, on the mound, Garrett Hill. He went up to Toledo doing a little learning on the fly. He enjoyed a solid outing on Friday. Five scoreless innings, five strikeouts. Garrett Hill with a rock-solid game on the mound. That's a look at the on-ramp. And now it's time for best in class. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system, this one made the most noise. Off runner goes, pitches drilled out to right field on the run as Cespedes at the warning track at the wall. That ball's gone. Touch of all time, Wenzel Perez. That's his first double-A home run, and he makes it 5 nothing Erie here in the second inning. You know, we've said this on the show before, but player development is not always linear. It takes time. It's hard. When Wenzel Perez came up to West Michigan to play low-A for the Whitecaps in 2018, he finished that season hitting over 300 in a short stint with the Whitecaps. But then people started to adjust. They started to figure him out. And it takes a while for some guys to figure out how to change their game, how to adapt, how to evolve. And Wenzel Perez, he hit the ground running this season. We saw the version of Wenzel Perez in West Michigan that we thought we saw back in 2018. But it's funny because now you see that light bulb come on offensively for Perez and the numbers haven't fallen off. As a matter of fact, they've gotten better in double-A for Wenzel. He's hit 317 through the 10 games he's played with the Seawolves, a home run, the one you just heard right there, a double, two triples, and eight runs batted in. It has been a long, winding road for Wenzel Perez in the Tigers minor league system, and it's very satisfying to watch his success at the plate. Congratulations to Wenzel Perez. He's this week's best in class. Now... There's a heated competition for who's going to receive this week's rose. Uh, Nate Wangler, who's receiving the rose? You know how teams turn up the heat, the power swing, home runs. I feel like the best ability a pitcher can have is the ability to keep the ball inside the ballpark. And this particular winner of the Dylan Rosa Award has done just that. Ty Madden gave up a home run in eight out of his first ten appearances in minor league baseball. He hasn't given up a homer in his last four. And better than that, we talked about his June numbers, as you mentioned, 138 average against, 072 ERA through the month of June for Ty Madden. Not only is he reducing the power numbers against him, but he's also keeping runners off the base paths. I think Ty Madden is learning very quickly what's effective and what works for him at this level. He's the winner of this week's Rosa. Congratulations to Ty Madden. We're going to talk to him coming up a little bit later here on the RTD presented by Carhartt. He's also the High A Midwest League's Pitcher of the Week. Congratulations to Ty. We're going to find out about the changes he's made with Brian Sikowski. We're also going to go straight to the source himself because the home runs have come down dramatically. 
How has Ty Madden been able to accomplish that? He will answer that question directly coming up a little bit later here on the RTD. That's a look at best in class. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And now, without further ado, it's mock draft season. Major League Baseball draft coming up in just a couple of weeks. Brian Sikowski is the mock draft godfather. And nobody has a better pulse on the Tigers and the draft. What will they do? What could they do? What are their options? How can the Tigers get creative on draft day? Brian Sikowski, the national cross-checker from Perfect Game, joins us right here on the Road to Detroit podcast. Follow him on Twitter at B underscore Sikowski underscore PG. The Road to Detroit podcast continues. He is the national cross-checker for Perfect Game. And he has been used with us, with the Tigers, for multiple seasons now during a stretch and when the Detroit Tigers draft picks have been put under even more of a microscope. He's Brian Sikowski of Perfect Game. Brian, good to see you again. Thanks for having me, man. Great to see you too, bud, as always. So explain what you do exactly for Perfect Game. What a national cross-checker looks like for Perfect Game and how that might compare and contrast with what it might look like, say, within the Tiger system. Perfect Game tries to mirror uh, Major League teams as far as like how our sc- scouting staff is organized, scouting system is organized. Um, it, and it's been something that's been new in the past several years. When I started with PG, we had four full-time scouts, and now we have like 30. So it's been a you know rapid expansion as we expand business into every corner of the country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, hiring more scouts, whatever. But the way it operates is like national cross checker is like second or third in command in the draft room, usually, depending on who's making the pick. If the scouting director's making the pick, he's second in command. If the GM's making the pick, he's third in command. It's kind of how that uh, hierarchy works. And then we look at it similarly. Our area guys who are in every part of the country, uh, those are the guys with, with boots on the ground all the time. Um, they're at every single event that we run in their given area. They're at high school and college games in the spring. Uh, on their time off in the summer, they go see college summer league stuff. Um, those are the information gatherers. Those are the the guys who see who see players first for the most part. And, and then their their job is to filter up the ones they think is best to the uh, to the regional cross checker level. And then that continues to filter up to my level and. and a lot of what I do is is geared towards, as you know, the draft coverage, evaluating players for that, building a draft board. But also, just as important for us, for our purposes, it's deciding who gets to be at like the national showcase or the invite-only stuff that's on TV, that's spectacular, that where we're trying to have the best players in the country there. And, and so a lot of that falls to me as far as that's what I'm doing right now in Hoover this week, basically. Uh, I'm chasing around 2023 draft guys, but I'm also – going to see 2023 guys that we need to make a determination on if they need to be at the national showcase or not. So I'm doing that a lot. Then we, we put the rankings together. We decide who's going to be an all American. Like that's kind of the parallel to big league teams building their draft boards. So that sort of thing. It's just a, I don't know how to describe it to you. It's kind of like a pyramid, I guess, if we want to be weird about it. But uh, yeah, the whole point is, is finding players, helping guys get opportunities, um, doing our best to, to figure out who is the best. And, and I think our work reflects that. Tell me a little bit about this year's Perfect Game All-American Classic. You've got it coming up in August. So the, the All-American game for this summer will be 2023 kids. So they'll be drafted next year. Um, it's always a year ahead of the curve in that sense. But yeah, it's it's going to be a chase field. That's the first time we've done it outside of Petco Park in San Diego the COVID year notwithstanding where we were in Oklahoma City for it. But, uh, yeah, excited about a a new place. Chase Field's incredible. Um, We hosted the National Showcase there a couple years ago. But, yes, basically 
the one sentence summation here is if we think you have a chance to be a first rounder next year, you're, you're going to be in the All-American game. Like this is the best of the best. Here's the best 60 players in the country as we view them more or less. Um, that's what we want. That, that's really what we want. We want those guys to then be first rounders the next year. Makes us look smart. Talk to me about this draft. It's a little harder to narrow this pick down for Detroit than mm-hmm. in past years. Last year at number three overall, it felt like either Marcelo Mayer or Jackson Job. But this year, it's not that simple. Who are a few people you and your cohorts have as options for Detroit at 12? Why don't we start with a couple of players at the high school level? Yeah, it's a weird class in that there's a ton of college bats. And the highest end crust of the class is prep bats. And then the arms are like, I think it's a really good prep arms class, but prep arms, Jackson Joe being the outlier, don't go in the top 10 picks usually. It just doesn't happen. There's too much risk involved. So I, I think for the Tigers at 12, like I have to imagine that the, the top tier of prep bats are going to be gone. And the top handful of college bats are probably going to be gone. So they may have their choice of arms. There's a, there's a likelihood that exists that the Tigers at pick 12, an arm will not have been taken yet. So if you want to look at it that way, Brock Porter's probably in play for the Tigers at 12. A local kid, obviously, Orchard Lake St. Mary's High School uh, in Metro Detroit, national champions two years in a row, et cetera, et cetera, accolades, whatever. Brock Porter has that type of upside. He's a potential top 10 pick. He might be the first arm taken this year. It's hard to go high school arm back-to-back years, though, with your first pick, just because of the risk involved in high school pitching prospects. Brock is up to 100 and sits 94, 96, and has a Bugs Bunny changeup. His changeup is as good as Job's slider was last year, just for comparison. His changeup is disgusting. Um, slider got better this spring. He throws a lot of strikes. It's the body type you're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. He's really, really good. I just don't know if, if they'd go prep arm two years in a row. Um, but outside of him, man, it, it's going to be if any of those guys fall. Can Tamar Johnson maybe fall? I doubt it. Like, there, I don't think there's any way that these guys fall. But Drew Jones, Elijah Green, Tamar Johnson, Cam Collier, Jackson Holiday, like those are the, the studs of this class from the, the prep level. Collier's a Juco guy, but he's 17. So uh, we, we still lump him in with the high school guys. But either way, I, I just don't think those guys are going to be there. So then you're looking at, all right, do we want to be the first team to make a move on an arm, or are we going to take our highest graded college bat? And I think that's the sweet spot for the Tigers is college bats. And, you know, nobody thought Khalil Watson, who had a phenomenal start to his year, would have fallen to Miami mm-hmm. midway through the first round last year. So there, There is precedent for that. It's just super unlikely. And you mentioned Brock Porter, and I know you've had as good a look at him as anybody. The interesting dynamic with him is an outstanding changeup. That is such a hard pitch to get feel for. Many professionals struggle with that. It feels like that kind of holds a translatable skill more so than guys with a developed splitter or slider. It's just such a feel pitch. It feels like it indicates more readiness, I guess, in that way than other pitches. What's your take on the changeup being a, a dynamite secondary pitch for any pitcher versus some of the other offerings they can have? It, it's uh, As we see this sort of dead zone pitch selection come into play where like all of a sudden it's not taboo anymore to throw a right on right changeup or a left on left changeup like it has been forever. I think that's when it comes into play even more so. But at the same time, like just on the surface, that changeup neutralizes left-handed hitters. I would imagine that Brock has given up maybe 20 hits in his high school career total, so there's really no use in looking at the splits. But I would imagine righties have maybe had a little bit more success against them than lefties because that changeup absolutely takes them away. So that's something unique in and of itself right away is most of the time, platoon splits are platoon splits. You know, left-handed hitters see right-handed pitchers better. If you have a changeup like that, it doesn't matter. And it hasn't mattered for him, even since it was a 68-mile-an-hour changeup. Like it hasn't mattered for him. It's always been very, very good. His development in terms of the slider this year is what has given scouts and given decision makers the, okay, now we have both secondary weapons. Because his spin for years was just okay. It wasn't great. This spring, it's plus slider sometimes, you know, so a big, uh, a big uh, improvement there. But 
I think you're right in the sense of developing the changeup early gives you a leg up versus developing the slider early or developing the breaking ball early. But I would say it's probably just as hard once you enter pro ball if you're below average at one of them, spinning the ball or throwing a changeup, to like get good at it. It's not like it, I know the the vibe is always like and Jeremy Bonderman could never throw a changeup. Like I remember those days, you know. So it's it, the the narrative is it's harder to throw a changeup or learn a changeup. If you can't spin the ball in high school or college, you aren't going to magically learn to spin it in pro ball either. So important to have it all. Um, and I think it's actually a, a pretty even footing as far as if you're bad at one, getting good at the other. It has turned into an existential issue for pitchers at the high school level. We've noticed this at the lower levels of the minor leagues. In getting high school pitchers, one of the things that we have realized, and this is in talking to some of them, is that most of these guys were so dominant at their high school level that they never pitched from the stretch. They only pitched from the windup. So how do you guys try to solve what really is a pretty big problem, not being able to see a guy under a certain game situation that they probably will encounter a whole lot in the pros? You can simulate stuff like that in showcases and stuff. You know, when you control the action, when the game play or as far as who wins doesn't matter at all when it's just a controlled showcase you can do stuff like just randomly out of nowhere put a dude on first base and say all right pitch from the stretch like let's see it so there's an element of that in play there's also a ton of players sort of in the last four or five years and now it's even more popular than ever who as they develop into pitchers even pre-high school ball are pitching exclusively from the stretch Mm -hmm. um simply because the, the reasoning for that is number one Uh, We don't have to worry about changing anything when a runner gets on base. And number two, if you can master one move, why master two? Or why why put yourself into the situation where you don't have the body control or you don't have the muscle memory or whatever it is to repeat two different types of moves? Why not just master one? And the one that works in any situation is the stretch, obviously, not the windup. So we're seeing a lot of guys pitch exclusively, uh, exclusively from the stretch, pardon me, um, or do like a David Price thing, you know, where the windup is like one half of an extra step off of his stretch move or whatever it is, you know, where, where it's very, very simplified. We're seeing that a fair bit, but you're right, man. And, and even more specifically than like they've never pitched from the stretch, they don't know how to do it. They have no earthly clue how to hold runners, which is a, they have no earthly clue how to control the running game. I think this is something with Job. People ask like, well, why is he in, in Lakeland? Why is he the number three overall pick like why is he still down there dude has to learn how to pitch now he was a shortstop forever and then it was magically like oh I can spin a slider 3200 rpms and I throw 96 you're a pitcher now bro that was like two years ago that was not that long ago so he's still learning how to pitch and these are pro baseball players with pro tools now standing on first base and running and taking off and timing him and etc etc so he's got to learn how to hold runners he's got to learn how to to uh, be quicker to the plate. He's got to learn how to control his delivery and command his stuff while doing all of that. I'm sure his head's spinning. It's fine that he's in Lakeland. It's fine if he's in Lakeland next year. This is a, this was always going to be a slow burn type of prospect development just because of how new to pitching he was. That doesn't make him any less talented or have any less of an upside. It's just, hey, man, we got we to gotta get this kid ready in all facets of the game before we move him up. That's all. If memory serves, there was a time where people were very curious as to why somebody like Matt Manning was stuck in a place like Connecticut, throwing 88 or 89 miles per hour, and he figured things out. It is a slow burn. It is a process with high school guys. So now that we've covered the high school guys, give me a couple of players at the college level who might be in play for the Tigers at 12. I know they really like Jace Young. Uh, the second baseman from Texas Tech. I don't know if he'll be there. With 12, man, like we talked about it earlier, like it's, you don't know. You know, this isn't three, this isn't one, this isn't whatever. This isn't even five when when Riley Green was drafted. It's a, you really don't know who's necessarily going to be there. Um, I know they like Jace Young a lot. The left-handed hitting second baseman from Texas Tech, kind of a troublesome defender. Not not going to provide a lot of value defensively, but he rakes and he has power and he walks a lot. And I would imagine that if he were to be drafted, uh, just guessing, 
West Michigan would probably be the the place he'd go. He's a guy who's ready for that type of uh, environment. Him, I, my favorite guy at twelve, I think, is Gavin Cross, uh, the outfielder from Virginia Tech. I love the batted ball data. He's a left-handed hitter. He hits for average. He hits for power. Uh, the exit velos back it up. The consistency of the exit velo backs it up. He's a good athlete. He's probably a right fielder because he is pretty physical, but the arm plays from there. I, I, I love that guy. I would take him at 12 if he's there. I just – another guy, man. I don't I don't know if he's going to be there. Um, those two – I think Daniel Susak is a guy who's in play, uh, the catcher from Arizona, um, guy with a lot of power, a lot of hit tool, big arm strength, a good athlete. He's kind of crude behind the plate still, but again, this is an eligible college sophomore. He's only 20, 21 years old. Um, I think there's potentially some similarities to Dingler there with, with a little more polish. Um, but either way, like a guy who I think can eventually catch, but right now the strength is the bat. That He's good, man. These these college bats, that's the that's the window, I think, is if you get one of these college bats. Um, I, we're going to have Zach Neto from Campbell higher on our board than a lot of people do. I think that 12 is a good spot for him. Uh, Another guy who a team may fall in love with him before that, but I think 12 would be great. Uh, The shortstop from Campbell, no doubt shortstop can pick it, will stay there. The arm strength works, and he's performed better than anybody in college baseball for the most part. Dude absolutely rakes, added power to his game this year, cut down the strikeouts, up the walks. A guy trending up in a big way. I, I think he's a little undersold because of where he plays uh, and the level of competition. Maybe he played against the Campbell is not that of the SEC or whatever. So you get that that bias. But that dude is really really good. If you made me drop a board, man, I probably like Cross Neto Young Susek would be my board for the Tigers at twelve. And if none of them are there, who knows? <laughs> We're talking with Brian Sikowski, the national cross checker from Perfect Game. One of the things is is that you just mentioned guys like Gavin Cross, who are mocked pretty much to go before Detroit's pick, and a few of those premium high school bats that are expected to go at the very, very top of the first round. So it begs the question, like Khalil Watson falls down the board to a place like Miami, how does that happen? Do teams get creative? And how would that look if the Tigers were to get creative on their own? Um, there's a number of reasons that can happen. Uh, there could just be, it, it could be medical. It wasn't like, I'm not speaking specifically to, to Khalil's case. He's not unhealthy. I'm just hypothetically, it could be medical. Uh, it could be something that comes out right before the draft where it scares off teams high up. And then the team that this is Walker Bueller is what I'm, what I'm speaking of. He was a guy that everybody knew he needed to have Tommy John surgery before the draft. And the Dodgers were the team that said, fine. And now Walker Bueller is pretty good. But uh, it, so it could be that. It could be uh, makeup stuff. The rumors start swirling. That scares teams sometimes, especially if you're going to pay a dude a bunch of money. And then the more nefarious way is to to make a promise, like as an organization. And, and the way that would look for the Tigers is if you say, hey, I, we will give you $7 million at pick 12 if you tell every other team that wants to take you before that, no. Now, you can do that. There's no rule against it. It happens. But you're you're banging your second pick, and you're probably banging your third pick then at that point because the Tigers at pick 12 don't have a massive uh, prospect pool or, you know what I mean, a money pool for this draft. So you can do it, and it may work. I'd imagine it would work for a lot of these guys if you tried it. But, I, again, then you're you're killing your picks down, down the line as far as the money goes because uh, you, you got to give it all to that guy. So I, I, I think it's a good strategy if you're sure. If you fall in love with a dude and say, this is a Hall of Famer, this is an all, a perennial all-star, 100% certainty that this dude's going to be our best player, go get him. Do it. But you, you can't be wrong then because then you wasted an entire draft and then that, that, you know, that can't happen. Conversely, the other way that some teams get creative is if they go low with their slot value in their first pick. But then in an effort to get a similarly talented second or third player a little later down the board, how does that usually go? Yeah, it's um, so it most often happens at 1-1 at the first overall pick. The best player in the draft doesn't usually go first overall in the MLB draft. The only 
notable. I, I mean, Mize was the best player in the draft in, in 2018, and, and Rutschman was probably the best player in the draft in 2019. But, you know, you've seen uh, guys take deals all the time. It happened last year with Henry Davis. So the way that goes is if you're, as an organization, have a group of guys graded similarly at the top. Uh, we pick 1-1, one, one, the hypothetical uh, West Michigan Sikowskis. We have these four guys that we think are the best four players in the class, and we don't think there's a huge separator amongst them. So we call all four of those guys, and whichever one says I'll take the least amount of money, that's our pick. And then we get to save however much money that is, two mil sometimes, three mil, a mil and a half, whatever it is. You get to then save that money and call a kid that you have ranked in the next tier and say, hey, man, we know that you have a chance to go at pick 11, but we'll give you pick seven money if you let us take you at 36 or wherever your next pick is. And that happens all the time too. Uh, it's usually prep arms that do that. But uh, So that's how you get creative. That's how you can get multiple guys that you view as impactful players. But sometimes the risk of that is not taking the best player. Uh, so, you know, but and in baseball, it's a, it's kind of still a crapshoot deciding who the best player in a class is going to be projecting 10 years down the road or whatever. But uh, but yeah, that's how that goes. And I would expect it to happen this year. I would expect Baltimore to, to cut a deal at one. I, I don't know if they're going to take uh, the best player in the draft. I'd imagine they'll take the dude that they have graded highly who says I'll take the least and then they'll spread it down the board. Second round, we've seen it in recent years, whether it be a guy like Parker Meadows or Isaac Pacheco, they try to take a big home run swing. So it'll be interesting to see how that fits coming into that early pick in round two. But back to what we we're talking about with the college players, because we're literally just off the heels of Ole Miss winning the College World Series. Now, this one might be tough, but the Tigers smashed the button on players from the Texas Longhorns who showed out in the College World Series the last couple of years. It was Cody Clemens in 2018. It was Ty Madden last year. Give me a few guys that really stood out to you through the College World Series run this year. Yeah, I, for the College World Series, is it's, it's at the end of the year. These dudes have been being scouted for four months, if not longer. You know, So it's not necessarily a place where like you learn something. Uh, because chances are you you've been watching these dudes, you know. So I I think this year there's a there's a pretty big example of one that doesn't fit that mold, and that's Kate Horton from Oklahoma, the right-handed pitcher, um, two-way guy. He was a two-way guy in high school. Had Tommy John surgery his, his senior year of high school or whatever it was. Last year didn't play. This year was kind of just okay all season. The command wasn't great. The stuff wasn't as loud as it was supposed to be, et cetera, et cetera. And then towards the end of the season and into the College World Series, Cade Horton looked like maybe the best pitcher in the class on the college side. So <laughs> that's an example of I don't know if he's in the Tigers' plans at 12 and I wouldn't expect him to get to their second pick or whatever, but that's an example of a guy who Omaha was a, a place where he made money. Like Omaha was a place where this this is we need to get a, a new look at this guy who's a dude. Um, so that and that, but that, that just doesn't happen. Like that's an exception to the rule. There's a lot in Omaha. There's a lot of ways for you to just kind of cement what you thought about a guy previously. You're getting that kind of final look. Um, guys move up and down boards there, but it's not round eight to round two usually. It's more like ah. I had this guy in the fifth, and I, I like him a little bit more than that. I'm going to put him in the fourth now, something like that, or, or vice versa. So I, I think there's some guys maybe in that third, fourth, fifth round range. Um, the Ole Miss closer who closed it out uh, yesterday, Brandon Johnson, up to 97, plus curveball. There's there's traits on the fastball. He's a come-at-you reliever. It's, it's real stuff. That's a guy the Tigers like big burly hard throwing SEC guys still that didn't that you know that didn't end so I, I would imagine that he might be in play for them somewhere in those middle rounds we got to talk about Ivan Melendez right Dan he's the Hispanic Titanic from what I hear <laughs> that's his nickname which is by the way an 80 grade nickname tell 80. us about him so Golden Spikes winner obviously hit 32 home runs this year or whatever it is was a Juco guy this was a bandit um, a Juco bandit this is a guy who raked at i think it was odessa which is a, a far-flung place in west texas where not a lot of people are um like that kind of describes juco baseball pretty well actually so uh it raked there went to texas had a really good year last year 
turned down money in the draft to come back because he wanted to continue working with Troy Tulowitzki, who was the hitting coach there. Um, obviously exploded. He's a senior, he's a right-handed hitter, and he's a first base only. So those things all work against him. Um, and as we're seeing with Spencer Torkelson in the big leagues right now, if you're a right-handed hitting first baseman who's not absolutely raking, it's hard to, to be a positive value guy. Now, we're all big believers in Spencer Torkelson. I have no doubt that that dude will be really good. But that's what, what we're saying. Like, There's no defensive value to fall back on. There's no peripheral value to fall back on if you're not absolutely raking. So they're more risky in that sense. But that dude, man, there's no one in the draft with better batted ball data. Uh, his his stuff is better than Jacob Berry, who's another first baseman who's going to go higher than him. Um, I I would love him in the second round, but uh, the Tigers the Tigers have a, a right handed hitting first baseman. They just gave a lot of money to, so it's hard when there's no second spot for that guy. You know, it's hard when you can't say like, oh yeah, we'll just put Torque in left, like no problem. But he's really good, dude. He's really really good. I'm excited to see him in the big leagues. Clearly, he made a good decision. He was a 16th-round pick in 2021 from the Marlins at number 479. Sounds like that number is going to go far, far up the board from where he was last year. Another thing I'm curious of, a guy like Ty Madden. We'll hear from him next here on this edition of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. He slipped in last year's draft, despite some people calling him a top-10 draft prospect. But he ended up at number 32 overall to the Tigers. But he just finished a spectacular month of June. One, like if you're getting the numbers from him like you would get from a top five pick, you feel pretty good about yourself. Why do you think he slipped, by the way, a sub one ERA in June? And how has he answered those draft day doubts? I, I think that you guys have seen the exact reason why he's better than where he was drafted. The fastball shape of him in college was not real good. He was a strict, like straight over the top vertical slot, four seamer, 12 o'clock backspin guy. Um, and that the slot was too high. It was hard for him to, to get that like induced vertical break on that pitch because the slot was so high. There was nowhere for it to like go up, you know, hypothetically, not that the pitch actually goes up. Uh, so it negated like the efficiency of that. So the tigers, if you look, have dropped him down a little bit. We're now more of like a traditional three-quarter, maybe a little tick higher than that. Uh, he's not tilting his spine as much to get up here. He's just kind of more balanced with chest out over the over the, over his knee as he releases. And then that has allowed – that lower release height has allowed that fastball quality to play better at the top of the zone. And it's, in, it, it's impacted his command in a positive way. He's not missing up as much as he did in college because he's – a little bit lower as he releases. Um, the velo has been just what it was. I, I've seen your tweets. He's touching 97 or 98 in most outings. At the, that's what it was at Texas. The velo hasn't gone anywhere, but the fastball is just playing a little better. And he could always spin it. I know you've seen the slider. So so the slider's obviously a plus pitch. Um, but just that that increase in fastball quality, that little mechanical change that, that Gabe Rebos or whoever it was uh, decided to do, um, that it's helped the command. It's helped the fastball quality. Now he's like, oh, yeah, okay, this was the guy we probably should have taken at 16 or whatever, you know, something like that. What's that clip from the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Paul Rudd's trying to teach Jason Siegel how to surf, and he's like, you're doing too much. Do less. Do less. You're doing too much. Do less. Do less. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of teams that should have done less. Yeah, just do less. Yeah, don't be cute. The less you do, the more you do. All right, so before we let you go, and Brian Sikowski has been gracious enough to join us here on the Road to Detroit podcast, the elephant in the room, the Kumar Rocker situation was taken last year just outside the top 10, right about where the Tigers are sitting this year. The Mets did not sign him. He is now playing in independent league baseball, and he has had fairly good numbers. I wouldn't expect him to not have good numbers in indie ball, so... What's your take on this situation? I know you had some mad love for that slider last year. Yeah, it's a uh, my take on it. Right off the top, is that I don't know everything. I'm not. A, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon or whatever to where I examined the uh, the MRI that the Mets doctor had, and and I also determined that he wasn't healthy. Like what? I, I don't know. I don't know any of that. And even if I had his MRI scans in front of me, I would have no clue what they said. So, you know, that being said, I 
we're clearly we're talking about a concern for something that has not happened yet because he is healthy. He's proving that in indie ball. The velo's there, the stuff is there, the body looks great, etc. So if we're worried about something, it's something that has not happened yet, which is fair. Again, I'm not a medical professional. I don't know. But just as far as the stuff goes, man, and, and the success that that dude's had and, and the, the overall profile of what he is and, and the metrics on his, on his secondary stuff and how he's able to spin the ball, like I, I would have taken him where the Mets took him last year and I would have paid him what the Mets agreed to pay him. But again, you know, that's what I, I don't know everything that happened or how to interpret everything that happened. But he's really good. He's showing it. I don't think he's like a top of the class guy. I don't think he's like a guy you take in the at the fourth overall pick. But if that dude was in college baseball again this year and he pitched all year, he just repeated what he did last year and, and everybody believed he was healthy with the dearth of college pitching in this class, that dude would probably be a top 10 pick or where the Tigers pick, something like that. Um, so I'm sure he's on their board. Like I'm sure he's someone they're discussing. And why not? He's, he's pretty good. I mean, I was told last year that he had a slider that, quote, shifted through dimensions i'm guessing he still has that right uh, um i've actually been corrected on pitch type i thought he was a slider curveball guy he's actually cutter slider so the harder pitch is technically a cutter for him even though it, this is like when verlander started throwing a slider in the big leagues you know it was like 91 miles an hour and had no tilt it just moved horizontal and he's like no it's a slider and like literally everyone else was like no dude that's a cutter um, whatever, whatever they want to call it is whatever they want to call it. It's gross. So he, he can spin both things. They're both good. Whatever he wants to call them. Uh, he's, he's really good. It, it does still move between dimensions. <laughs> and it sounds like he has that kind of profile of a guy that could be a fast mover, depending on what a team wants to do with him. especially if you're talking about a contender towards the back end of the first round, maybe that looks like something where they try to get somebody up into a bullpen quickly. Brian Sikowski, a perfect game. The National Cross Checker can't thank you enough. This has been great, and we love draft season. This is mock draft season, and you're the guy. You need to be the person that we have keep us in check when it comes to the MLB draft because who knows what's going to be the pick at number 12. Can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for taking the time. Appreciate you having me as always, man. Really enjoyed it. Brian Sikowski here on the road to Detroit. That's good stuff from Brian Sikowski. So we've gotten Brian's take on the draft. We've also gotten it on somebody like Ty Madden. But there's one person we need to talk to about the improvements made by Ty Madden. And it's only right here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt where you hear from the man himself. Let's do a checkup with Ty Madden. The Road to Detroit podcast continues with a check-in of sorts. Who better than to talk to during the week that Ole Miss has won the College World Series with somebody who was pitching in that very event just last year. Ty Madden joins us, and he comes on the heels of an unbelievable stretch in the month of June and five more one-hit scoreless innings for Ty at the end of the series against Cedar Rapids. Ty, congratulations. Thank you so much. It's feel like I'm starting a cruise and things are feeling good. So how did you get to that point? Because it was a bumpy road for you through the month of May, but maybe you took something from that. Yeah, I just got to keep learning and, and developing and using my pitches and just it's a long season. And I think everyone reminds you of that, but you don't really realize it until you're in it. And so it's, it's easy for things to turn around both ways. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to what you've done in the month of June, the numbers are outstanding. You look across the board, 25 innings, a 0.72 ERA, 27 strikeouts. And the biggest thing was you didn't let up many base hits, just 12 base hits to be exact. That obviously has to feel like one of the things that really went right for you in the month of June. Yeah, I think early in the year, I was definitely giving up some more damage with the homers. And it's, it's nice not giving up home runs. <laughs> <laughs> How did you start to keep the ball in the ballpark a little bit? That was kind of a, a bugaboo for you at the very beginning of the year. But then you started to find a way to keep the ball in the ballpark. How did you do that? How do you think you did that? Um, I think in a lot of my damage was in counts I was behind in. And so, f first of all, just getting ahead in counts more often. And obviously, that's always the goal. But just really dialing into that. And then when I am behind in counts, um, I've done a lot better job of landing my off speeds, that's for sure. 
what has it been about working with some of the guys here in West Michigan to have gotten you to this point? Because, you know, nobody does it alone. You got to have help around you. What has been done to get you to that place? Um, I mean, I, there's so many people here. Uh, first, Pena and Dean, are they're both unbelievable people and are always have my back and um, just encourage me every day. And then even our catchers, like, I think someone who doesn't get a lot of credit is Chase and obviously Cooper. Chase Barbary, yes. And then obviously Coop. Coop had a big game yesterday, but those two put in a lot of work in in the bullpen and get us right. And then you got Crouch and Fonzie. Crouches before Fonzie got here. Crouch is putting himself out there every single day. And so he uh, just this. We got four catchers here, and they're all unbelievable people and give great feedback. And I can't show enough love for any of them. You sometimes have visits to the pitcher's mount, whether it's the pitching coach, Dean Stiles, or sometimes the manager, Brian Pena. Thankfully, he hasn't had to come out too often, but you know, it's the one thing that we don't get a chance to hear. So if you could, in your own words, tell us and describe what it might sound like to be visited at the mound by somebody with that much energy. How does a Brian Pena mound visit sound? All the mound visits are pretty low key, I feel like. they. A lot of it is just catch my breath, get back in rhythm, and. Um, I haven't had too many high energy mound visits. I've asked to keep going a couple times, but um, other than that, they do a good job of, in big situations, being for how high energy they are, being pretty level-headed out there. We're talking with Ty Madden here. A very quick check-in here on the Road to Detroit podcast. After five innings of one hit, four strikeout baseball, only faced one batter over the minimum. It's been a really great stretch in the month of June for Ty Madden. He ends up getting himself a no decision in this contest, but his team gets the win. And as you know, that's something that means a whole lot more than anything a personal win looks like. Absolutely. We're uh, a lot of... We said series win today, and some people are like, no, we, we tied the series. But the way we look at it is we're 2-1 and one in the second half, and so that is a big series win for us. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to be pitching here and making so many important steps in your professional career when at this time last year you were pitching in front of 10, 11, 12,000 people in Omaha. It's a little different scene, but obviously you're going a lot farther to help yourself here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I made a joke last week at, um, or earlier this week. I said, a year ago today, I pitched in front of 25,000 and had people follow me to dinner, and now I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And, uh, you know, it's part of the dream. This is what I've, I've always wanted to do, and um, I'm just so blessed that I get to play a game for my job and um, get to go out here every day. As we watch what you've done, now the next step comes in, and, and who knows where that next step is. Maybe it's in West Michigan. Maybe it's in AA. Who knows? But... For your purposes, if you could kind of put it in your own words, what have you learned this month? Just keep going. It's uh, Tulo told me a long time ago. That's Troy Tulowitzki. Yeah, that's right, because he was a coach on the staff at Texas. Yes, he called me the other day and was like, when I was struggling a little bit, and um, I think it was early Fort Wayne, and he just said that if you're a sub three pitcher, you'll be a sub three pitcher. Like. If you're sub four, you'll be a sub four. Like it's a long season, and so don't ride the highs or lows too much. And um, yeah, I just blessed to be able to come out here every day and let's keep moving forward. What other former major league all stars just randomly start hitting you up like Troy Tulowitzki? I mean, we got Houston Street too, but uh, he is well known in Tigers lore. He gave up the walk off home run to Maglio Ordonez in the ALCS back in 2006. I'm guessing he probably hasn't told that story very often. Is that fair? No, I haven't. Haven't heard that one. <laughs> we can't thank you enough, and congratulations on an unbelievable month of June. Thank you so much for joining us here on the road to Detroit. Thanks for having me. See, that's what you get here. That's what you get on the RTD presented by Carhartt. We don't just talk about time adding. We talk to time adding. A lot of shows talk about players. This show talks to players. It talks to coaches. It talks to members of the front office. Perspectives inside and out. And this show is the perfect example of that. Hear from someone near the top, Ryan Garko. Hear from a big-time prospect, time added. Hear from an outsider's perspective who has a perfect pulse on the Tigers in Brian Sikowski. This is why we do it. This is why you listen. Share this show with one person who cares about the Detroit Tigers the way that you do. Make sure you follow the show. And if you're at that podcast page right now, take the 10 seconds to scroll down and hit us with that five-star rating.
We're like an Uber driver. It's either five stars or it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> That's the one way you can help us more than anything else. And that ensures that we keep doing this show each and every week for you. And that'll do it. That's another episode of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. A huge thanks to a number of the guests that we've had on today's show. Ryan Garko, the Tigers Vice President of Player Development. Time Adden, Tigers Top 5 Prospect, as well as Brian Sikowski, the National Cross Checker from Perfect Game. It took a village for this show this week. A lot of help out and our thanks to so many who helped make this one possible. We'll be back with another episode next week. More on the Major League Baseball draft as it gets closer and closer to the Tigers pick beginning with the first round at number 12 overall. Thanks again for listening. For our producer, Nate Wangler, my name's Dan Hasty, And until next time. See ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.